Good morning and welcome to OSIL's podcast series. In this podcast, we get to explore topical economic issues and see how they affect our daily lives here in South Africa. We get to speak to experienced and knowledgeable people in the field. I'm your host, Margot G, and with me today is Dr. Naruvia Pillay-Bell, a policy associate at OSA and a senior economics lecturer at the University of Cape Town. Hi, Margot. It's great to be here today. Thank you. As I mentioned, you're a senior lecturer at the University of Cape Town. Could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, yes, so I work on public economics, basically. So all my research looks at how government policies, both on the spending side and the taxation side, affect household outcomes. So I look specifically at things like labor markets that we'll be talking about today, um, and education and health outcomes as well. Oh, very interesting. So as you are aware, we've been conducting, conducting a series of podcasts considering the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic in various parts of the economy. And South Africa was very efficient in the way it implemented the lockdown in order to prevent the spreading of the virus. But what impact do you think this has on our South African labor markets? So I think the first thing to note here is actually that going into the lockdown, the South African economy was, was not in a great state. So already in the last two quarters of 2019, um, South African economy had contracted. So we'd actually been kind of entering this technical recession. And our unemployment rate was 29%, which is just incredibly high. And just to give some context for that number, um, you know, post-corona, due to coronavirus, the numbers that we're projecting for the U.S. are an unemployment rate of about 32%. Wow. So going into this, our unemployment rate was, was already really at, at crisis levels. Um, so the lockdown is, is obviously going to worsen our um, unemployment rate and have a serious effect on the economy. But I think thinking about the specific effect on the South African labor market, we have to think about a couple of factors. So the effect of the lockdown on the labor market depends on a few things. Uh, one being the share of workers who can actually do their work from home. So we don't know exactly what that number is in South Africa, but looking across other developing countries, we see something like 13%. So really a very small proportion of people were actually able to work from home compared to the more developed countries like the US and Europe, where a much larger proportion of their labor force, something like 30 to 40% of people can actually work from home. So the more people that are actually able to work from home, the less of an effect we'll see on unemployment. Um, obviously, the, there are going to be differences across sectors too. So something like tourism and hospitality, we expect to see larger increases in unemployment there because it's really just not possible to work from home. And also with the travel restrictions being what they are, there's really uh, no tourism and hospitality that will be happening the next few months at least. Mm -hmm. The second thing to think about is firms' cash buffers. Uh, you know, how much cash do firms have on hand to actually weather this crisis? Um, we think that, that small firms tend to have smaller cash buffers. So we know from the US data that about a quarter of firms really uh, barely even have enough cash to survive even a month. Um, but I think in South Africa, we've actually also seen some liquidity problems at larger businesses too. For example, I know that Edcon was having trouble paying their suppliers in April already. So I think that this is going to affect both small and large firms. Um, and in South Africa, actually, we have a very large proportion of our workforce working for large firms, so about 60%. 
um, of the workforce is employed by large firms, which is actually quite a high number, especially for a developing country. Uh, that number is actually on par with, with the figure that we see in the US. Um, so that might provide us with some, some buffer against um, you know, large increases in unemployment because we have you know, a lot of workers at large firms that hopefully will be able to weather the, the crisis better. And again, on, the, on this, there'll be differences across sectors too. So sectors like real estate tend to have a larger number of smaller firms and they might be harder hit by, um, by the lockdown. The final thing obviously depends on the size and the structure of the stimulus package um, that I think we're going to get into in this podcast. Definitely, definitely. And I think it's very interesting that you mention, you know, the amount of people that can work from home. And I think that largely depends on the access to internet. And I think the larger companies would also have access to internet. But then at the same time, it's that liquidity thing, which is really is really important in terms of being able to pay workers. Uh, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I think yeah, having the infrastructure to be able to create this work from home, but also having the cash on hand to to weather the crisis. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned we were already in a bit of a crisis before the pandemic. <laughs> so when we look at our government budget deficit, it was already in a position where it was difficult to increase, you know, stimulus packages. Recently, the president addressed the nation. And he announced a 500 billion rand economic support package, which he will be using, you know, to help the economy recover. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, yeah. So this is, you know, a very, very large stimulus package. It's 10% of GDP. Um, and this is actually, you know, pretty high compared to even other countries. So if we look just globally at what countries have done so far, the U.S., you know, their stimulus has been about 10% of GDP, and that's one of, I think, the most generous um, stimulus package to date. Japan also a large stimulus, 7% of GDP. So when we're talking South Africa putting together a package of 10% of GDP, this is really one of the largest stimulus packages you know, being provided worldwide, um, more so than what some other European countries even have, have put together so far. So... Um, it's a large stimulus package, and I think the reason is because this downtime is just so much more severe than anything we've we've seen before. Mm-hmm. So the last, you know, the financial crisis of two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, the South African economy shrank by about one and a half percent. Right now, National Treasury is projecting that we're looking at about a six percent contraction in the South African economy. So what we're talking about is just orders of magnitude larger in terms of a recession than than we've seen before. So I think that's the reason we're putting together a large stimulus package. And it's the reason, you know, all countries are putting together this, these very large stimulus packages. Typically most countries are doing about double the stimulus package that they did for the 2008-2009 recession. And I think that this reflects that this is just a very different kind of crisis. So the economic crisis that we're seeing is really a result of the lockdown restrictions that that we've put in place in order to try to contain the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So usually when there's a recession, you know, we think of economic policy, the role here is to try to stimulate aggregate demand, you know, as quickly as we can to, to get the economy to recover quite quickly. But here we have to remember that, you know, we put in place these restrictions for a reason and we don't want to immediately lift them very quickly. So it actually, we have to think very carefully about how we reopen the economy, how we stimulate activity and, and actually 
you know, be quite deliberately slow about that. So a lot of, of what's happening is we're kind of saying very explicitly, you know, we are shutting down economic activity, but for these reasons. And so the stimulus package that we offer is very different to what we might do in a different situation. The idea here is to really support people through this shutdown of the economy. So we think our president, Cyril Ramaphosa, made it very clear that um, he would be stimulating the economy in various ways, including the health budget, relief of hunger and social distress, the support of companies and workers, and also during the phased reopening of the economy. So could you tell us a little bit more about the allocation of the, the stimulus package? Um, yeah, so I think what the stimulus packages are trying to target, target a few things. Um, the first one kind of obviously being the health budget. This is you know, a public health crisis, and so there's money directly allocated to responding to, to the threat of COVID-19. I also here just want to point out that you know, this is not completely a budgetary problem. So worldwide, actually, there's a shortage of the needed equipment. You know, so we're talking about PPE for healthcare workers, the ventilators, and also the chemicals that we need to actually perform the test. So usually, and in standard economic theory, when demand increases, we expect there to be an increase in supply to match that. But we haven't really seen that happen. And so it's useful to, I think, talk through some of the reasons why this might be, might be true. So we have actually, the first thing is we have actually seen an increase in supply. So China, which is one of the world's big uh, providers of this equipment, has actually ramped up their production of PPE by like, you know, 12 fold. So yeah. they actually are producing much more but they also need you know, much more PPE than they did before. So even though they're producing more, exports are falling. And we've seen other countries like the US and the EU also actually um, restrict exports of these essential goods. So actually stopping them from being sent abroad to other countries that might need them. Um, also, you know, just given travel restrictions and you know, international trade routes are just not working the way that they used to. You know, shipping lines are not running um, in the same way that they used to. Airlines and actually, you know, passenger airplanes carried about 50% of air freight cargo and those aren't running anymore. So it's actually just harder to get goods around the world in the same way. And this includes you know, these needed, uh, this equipment that is, that is really quite needed. Yeah. And I think we're also seeing, you know, just this kind of on a global scale, uh, countries competing with each other in ways that are not you know, for the greater good. So richer countries, you know, outbidding each other um, and outbidding poorer countries for this equipment. Uh, you know, the US kind of outbidding or stealing from, from France goods that were intended for them by offering a higher price. So I think we really uh, also need to think about the, the global supply chain of these things. And so one way to, to deal with that at a local level is and I think so. President Ramaphosa announced this on on Tuesday. You know, it's also support local companies in making the PPE that we need. Mm. And you know, so in in France, you know, Louis Vuitton is now making PPE. So fashion houses mm -hmm. are uh, making you know face masks that that people need. Um, car factories in the U.S. being converted to to produce ventilators. So kind of shifting over local production lines to produce. Uh, this equipment that we need because it's increasingly difficult to to rely on the the imports that used to provide this. 
Well, I'm sure this would have repercussions on the price level too. Yes, um, possibly, but I think it, um, we're, because on a global level, we're also just competing with countries like the US that just have, you know, large, larger budgets and, you know, dollar budgets that they're driving up the prices of, of exports too. So given what, what's happening to, to import prices or what's happening to kind of the global price of these goods because demand's so outstrips supply, um, I'm not sure that relative to that world price, the South African local price of production well, you know, will be too high. It, you know, in a usual sense it might be, but this is a very different market I think that we're talking about. Definitely, and I think um, South yeah. Africa being an emerging market, as you've mentioned, has a relatively high unemployment rate, but we also have an, a lot of these people who, while employed, are breadwinners for their family. And if they cannot go to work now, there are a lot of social repercussions where inequality will likely increase. The stimulus package focuses primarily on health objectives, which, as you've mentioned, is number one priority. But if you look at the other aspects, how effective do you think it will be with those? So I think, yeah, I think the stimulus package uh, does a lot to try to help people who are facing, you know, social distress due to the economic conditions uh, caused by the lockdown. So, um, you know, we've expanded UIF payments already. And then on Tuesday, President Ramaphosa announced you know, that is also going to be providing payments to unemployed people who fall outside of the usual social grants support system and UIF payments. So really extending that um, support network quite widely and also increasing um, social grants temporarily. So really trying to make sure that we're um, providing support to, to households and also providing food assistance. Um, hunger is you know, a problem in South Africa, you know, even before this crisis, it's a worldwide problem, but this crisis uh, is really going to exacerbate this. So the UN is now uh, projecting that twice as many people are going to be experiencing food insecurity wow. than, than would otherwise. So it's, it's really a big problem. And I think the president announced some measures to specifically try to get at food assistance and was talking about you know, a, a relatively high-tech solution to do it via vouchers and cash rather than distributing food parcels. Because food parcels are just very difficult and expensive to actually put together. You need a whole logistic system to uh, you know, procure the food, store it, and actually ship it and get it to households that need it. Um, and he's acknowledged that the government distribution system can't actually meet the current need. And it's you know, just vital that we get the support to households quickly, uh, especially when we're talking about something like food um, in the context of a public health crisis. We need to make sure that the people have access to, to nutrition that they need in order to, to be able to survive and also you know, deal with potential infections. That was definitely one of the growing concerns just in terms of climate change and with the sustainable development goals. And so you have it from the, the climate side, but now much faster. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, yeah. So it's definitely... Yeah, I think this is kind of bringing home for a lot of people the, the seriousness of, of food insecurity. And it really is, it's a global problem. And as you say, climate change is going to affect this 
going forward too. So we have to be thinking about our policies carefully. So you mentioned earlier that South Africa's stimulus package is much larger relative to other countries around the world. And we know that America is handling it one way, Europe's handling it another way. South Korea was a world leader in the way they, they handled the situation and Germany too. How is our approach different to the European approach, would you say? So in terms of the stimulus package, um, the approach in, in many of the European countries has actually been to focus on protecting jobs by subsidizing wages. So they've actually gone in and, and kind of directly paid a part of the wages to workers to take that pressure off of our firms. Um, this is different from the American approach, which is kind of the other way of doing it, which has been much more about sending money directly to families. So the U.S. has um, already started sending basically checks to, to each family in the country, and they've expanded unemployment benefits. Um, the European approach, you can think about it as, as essentially freezing the economy. What they're trying to do is basically preserve those employer-employee relationships. And this makes it much easier to start up production again. If we don't have, if we haven't preserved those employer-employee relationships, when we want to restart the economy, those who have lost their jobs will now have to find new jobs and companies will now have to find new workers. And some companies actually may not no longer exist if we haven't done a good job of preserving the companies too. So in this situation, it will actually take longer for GDP to recover. So the European approach of kind of freezing the economy is with the idea that it will make the recovery much easier. Um, South Africa, I think, is taking kind of a blended approach or combined approach. Um, they are trying to preserve employer-employee linkages. So President Ramaphosa, you know, announced a specific uh, program to actually protect jobs and um, providing income support to workers whose employers are unable to pay their wages and providing support to firms, to smaller firms to start out with that to enable them to pay you know, salaries and cover their operating expenses through a loan guarantee scheme. So I think they're definitely trying to preserve those employer-employee relationships, but they're also doing you know, these direct transfers to households through temporarily increasing the social grants and providing these um, you know, special COVID-19 uh, benefits that they're paying out. And I think this reflects the structure of, of the South African labor market where we actually have you know, a large number of informal workers. It's really about a third of non-agricultural employment is in the informal sector. And it's much harder to, to track those workers and then you know, subsidize their wages for a time. So it's easier to just give a direct payment to households and make sure that we're getting you know, money into the hands of people who, who need it and we're doing that quickly. And we're also doing what we can to try to preserve employment relationships, which will make it easier for the economy to recover. Yeah, very interesting. And um, this big stimulus package, what do you think it then means for South Africa's budget deficit going forward? So it definitely means the budget deficit is going to increase. Um, as you mentioned earlier, you know, our budget deficit was already at, at high levels. So we were, ex uh, the National Treasury was projecting a budget deficit of about 7% this year. Uh, what we're going to see happen is tax revenue is going to fall. So 
you know, the economy is, is going to contract. We were expecting growth to be this year just under 1%. We're now expecting the economy to shrink by 6%. So that, you know, lower income is going to translate into lower tax revenue. We also are going to see less tax revenue because of the specific tax relief measures that President Ramaphosa has announced to try to help the economy. So these, you know, for example, the deductions to individual taxpayers for their contributions to the Solidarity Fund um, will affect tax revenue. And some of the um, tax relief measures for businesses is also going to affect tax revenue. Those are the ways to try to stimulate the economy and stimulate giving to the Solidarity Fund. Um, so kind of coupling this falling tax revenue with this very large stimulus means that we're going to have a higher budget deficit. Um, just, it's a 500 billion rand stimulus, just 130 billion rand of that comes from a reallocation of the existing budget. So the large majority of that has to be financed from elsewhere. And that includes, you know, borrowing from um, international banks, for example. And I, I just wanna say that this is, you know, not exclusively a problem for South Africa. Basically all countries are in this situation. And I think that the policymakers around the world have uh, been demonstrated their willingness to, to increase their budget deficits to, you know, very high levels um, in response to this unprecedented crisis. So just to give you a number from the US, they are, the American budget deficit was about 5% before the crisis. One of the projections has it at reaching 19% this year. Mm. So we're talking you know, very high deficit levels really to um, try to shore up the economy and try to protect people from adverse effects of, of, of a recession. Um, I think we have to weigh, you know, this high budget deficit against the costs of not providing a stimulus, which those costs are likely to be much higher. You know, if we just did not provide the kind of income support that we're talking about, we would see very serious adverse consequences for, for people. Um, I think that the debate is often cost as this, you know, dichotomy between saving the economy or saving lives. I don't think that that's quite right. Um, you know, there are very serious, you know, economic costs. There are very serious health costs mm. to to a recession. Um, you know, we've talked about hunger already, but there's also research that shows that you know maternal health in the U.S. was adversely affected by the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, and moreover that this was much worse for disadvantaged mothers. So, that I think. You know, we really need to be doing everything that we can to to try to make sure that we're supporting um, people, mm. and that's going to come at the cost of a high budget deficit. But I think the cost of not doing so is much higher. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Uh, President Ramaphosa addressed us. You mentioned that we're having a phased reopening in the economy. What can you? What is your take on this? Um, I think the estimates are that it's going to take about 18 months to develop a vaccine. Um, it's just not feasible for us to be in a lockdown until then. And as President Ramaphosa said, the lockdown has enabled us to you know, basically buy some time, right, to prepare our healthcare system, 
to delay the rapid rise in infections, but there's you know, going to be an inevitable increase in infections at some point. Uh, without a vaccine, it's, it's what's going to happen. And so we have to think about a careful phased reopening of the economy as, as they've outlined. Um, so South Africa, you know, there was five levels that he announced um, not too long ago. We're currently at level five and going to go to level four on the 1st of May, which will you know, mean that some people go back to work, but still under very strict conditions. So you know, companies can only have a third of their, their workforce back at a time. People who can work from home should continue to do so. And I think that this will continue for, for a while. Even the level one, the lowest levels of restrictions that he was talking about, are still not back to normal. Right? We're still talking about, you know, some measures of social distancing, wearing masks, um, still practicing kind of the the public health safety that that we've been doing so far. So I think we're a long way away from returning to normal, but I think it's important to to slowly open up the economy to allow people to get back to work. Um, to ensure that we have, you know, um, continuous production of things and to ensure that people are able to continue their, their livelihoods. Uh, this phased reopening is, is currently happening, you know, across the world. Um, countries are outlining their strategies now and, and we're already talking about what they're going to do. And some countries have already begun this phased reopening. Uh, what's interesting is that there is no real agreement here about what is the best way in which to reopen an economy. So countries have taken very different approaches here. Um, Denmark and Norway, for example, have opened their nursery schools and primary schools. So they're letting young children uh, back to school. And they've done this based on scientific evidence that, sh that shows that there's really a limited effectiveness of school closures in fighting the coronavirus pandemic but the cost actually of keeping kids out of school is very high in terms of you know, kids' development and education, and also in terms of childcare for essential workers um, if their kids aren't in school. So they made that decision, but other countries you know, have not. So Germany hasn't reopened its schools yet, uh, but they're talking about reopening small shops, um, car dealerships, bookshops, but still with social distancing rules and face masks in place. And even the schools that are opening in Norway and Denmark, uh, you know, it's not gonna be back to school as normal. There's still going to be you know, pretty strict health guidelines about how those schools um, will be operating. And I think the reopening also depends on, on people, on their willingness to, to kind of go back and go out. So, um, Danish parents, for example, have started a business Facebook group, My Child Shall Not Be a Guinea Pig for COVID-19, uh, really protesting the fact that they, they don't think their kids, you know, should be back in schools. Um, can we open up safely? You know, uh, what restrictions can we put in place to enable people to go back? So something like tourism is unlikely to come back anytime soon, but we could think of factories maybe where we space out workers more and they have to wear face masks. So it will be you know, very specific to the industry. And I think also what was interesting about what he announced that it's going to be specific to the geographic level. So there's going to be a nationwide level, but you know, even down to the metro level mm -hmm. um, 
it will vary depending on how uh, prevalent the infection is this. I think he's really taking, you know, an approach based both on on the science, but um, also on, you know, what are the economic consequences and really try and really have emphasized the importance of of testing. So you talked about Germany and Germany has really ramped up their testing. They're doing, you know, random samples of individuals and, and talking about following them for 12 months to see what happens. They're starting, you know, the end of this month of very large scale um, testing of antibodies. So really trying to get the information that we need in order to continuously be monitoring the situation um, to make sure that we're, you know, not opening up too quickly um, and that we're really following, following what's happening on the ground. So especially uh, when President Ramaphosa talks about this geographic difference, we then, you know, need to make sure that we have that fine level data on mm-hmm. on infections. And South Africa is actually, um, you know, I think one of the only countries that is doing this nationwide door to door screening and testing of people on a on a large scale. So, yeah, I think um, we're doing a, a very good job, and it's very difficult waters to navigate through. So, um, I think I'm very proudly South African today. <laughs> yes, yes, I think. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned the schools having to, you know, the issues of the schools. I think universities also, you know, yes, about the education, and um, definitely many people will be impacted from this. Is there anything else you would like to add today? Um, I think, yeah, just along your lines of proudly South African. I think this, you know, crisis has has reminded us, um, you know, about community, about coming together, and yeah. I think we'll get through it and hopefully our economy will, will come out better for it than, than it was going in since we weren't in a great place to begin with. Yeah, I think we will. And, and in President Sol Ramaphosa's address on Tuesday, he mentioned certain structural reforms and I think we'll have to wait and see. And I think I've got confidence that those will definitely put us in good state going forward. Yes, yes. Um, will be exciting to, to finally achieve the, the growth that I think we've always been capable of. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. We really appreciate you having you on the show today and thank you for your time. And um, also a big thank you to all the listeners. And remember, for more updates on our podcast series, please see our website and social media platforms. This is your host, Margot G from the Ursa podcast series. Till next time. <laughs>